This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Acts chapter 3. It's a lot warmer in here tonight than it was this morning, isn't it? It was Baltic this morning, wasn't it? The heat went off for some unknown reason that we, we, we just don't know, but the heat went off fairly early on, and uh, so it was, a bit, uh, it was a bit tight going, wasn't it? What was the temperature when you left Canada, John, did you say? Minus 30. Minus 30. <laughs> so we shouldn't complain. <laughs> Many feet of snow? Uh, five. five feet of snow, minus 30. So that kind of makes our little dusting seem like nothing. We, we got a dusting, John, you know, it says gridlock here. That's it. We just, everything shuts down. There you are, minus 35 feet of snow. Canada goes on as usual about their business. All right, Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 11. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us, as though by our power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. Peter and John were going up into the temple via the gate beautiful at the hour of prayer, and they saw this lame man. You know the story well. And uh, they healed him in the name of Jesus. The man rose up and he walked. People were astounded that such a miracle happened in Solomon's porch. And so they began to run onto uh, Peter and John and as you see there, he began to explain exactly what had taken place. In verse 3, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified Jesus through this miracle. Early sometime in 2016, I preached a message from that very text. And so I have no desire to repeat that again tonight. But as I sat in the prayer meeting on Thursday night, whether somebody had prayed those words or whether they come into my mind, I forget. But I began to meditate on those words immediately. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the thought immediately came to me that God is a God of constancy and a God of continuance. A God of constancy and a God of continuance. God made a covenant with Abraham that was so enduring that after 4,000 years, it's still as valid and as relevant until this very day in the 21st century. God promised Abraham that out of him would come nations, and out of the nations would come a nation, Israel, who would be a blessing to the whole world in the future. And from that nation, Israel, would come the Messiah who would be the saviour of the whole world. 
And it would take thousands of years for all this to be fulfilled. And at times, it would seem absolutely impossible. It looked like it would never happen. But God's word always comes true. He always keeps his promise. And the son of promise would be born as God told Abraham. And in spite of Abraham and Sarah's, in spite of their impatience and reluctance to wait on God's timing, you know how they went ahead and used their Egyptian maid Hagar as a surrogate. And what a disaster that was because Ishmael was born and the trouble in the Middle East from that day to this was all because of that grave mistake that Sarah made with Hagar. And yet, in spite of all of that, God is a God of constancy and continuance. For in the process of time, of course, Isaac was miraculously conceived and born. But when he was full grown, it looked as though that God's promise to Abraham was going to be cut short because he was told to go up to Mount Moriah and there to sacrifice his son of promise. Yet God is a God of constancy and a God of continuance because God provided himself a lamb. When Isaac was 40 years old, his father decided it's time this fellow got married. He's been hanging around here too long. <laughs> and so, you remember how he sent out his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And what a wife he found Isaac, Rebekah. You see, the promise given to Abraham must continue through Isaac. And even though Isaac and Rebekah got married, and even though they had been married 20 years, there was still no one to carry on the lineage. And so Isaac prayed, sought the Lord, and he says, Lord, cause my wife to conceive. And Rebekah did conceive. And eventually she bore twins, two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, when Rebekah was pregnant, she felt some unusual movements within her womb. And it wasn't just the ordinary kickings of a little baby in there. It was more like a wrestling match. It really concerned her so much that she asked the Lord, what is happening? Why is this going on within me? And here's the answer that God gave. Genesis 25, 23. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And we should mentally underline that. The older shall serve the younger. God is a God of constancy and continuance. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Unfortunately, Isaac didn't end as well as he started. Because being an older man now and a father, and as the children began to grow up, he very obviously and plainly favored Esau, his firstborn, as opposed to Jacob, the one that his wife favored, that Rebekah favored, 
And even though God told them that the older would serve the younger, in other words, he knew exactly what that meant, that the younger was going to receive the birthright rather than the firstborn. So God was reversing the natural order of things here, the customary order. Because if you were the firstborn, not only uh, did you get great privileges and great responsibilities, but there was a spiritual side to this. And God knew this, of course. And the reason why God chose Jacob rather than Esau, because Esau was a profane man. He had no interest whatsoever in anything spiritual at all. Jacob had, even though Jacob was a conniver and he was a manipulator and he was crafty, but underneath all of that, he had an interest in spiritual things and he knew the significance of the birthright. Now, God would deal with all of those areas in his life. There'd be a wrestling with an angel at one point and he'd be changed from Jacob to Israel, a prince with God. But we know how that the family here began to unravel Isaac favoring Esau, Rebekah favoring Jacob. And whenever Isaac's eyesight began to fail, because he's much older, he got it into his mind that he was going to die. Actually, he lived another 40 years after this. But this came into his mind that he was going to die. And so he was determined that before he died, as the patriarchs would do, that he would pass on the birthright to the firstborn. Esau, not to Jacob that God insisted should happen. And so we know then how that he set himself to give that blessing to his firstborn, but God is a God of constancy and continuance because God wanted Jacob, he wanted the messianic line to continue through Jacob. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Of course, Rebekah and Jacob deceived the old man Isaac. And yes, he did get the birthright. If only they would have waited and done it the right way, God would have found another way. God would have made sure that the one he had chosen would get the birthright. But all of them now, none of them are walking by faith not Isaac, not Rebekah, not Jacob, not Esau. All of them are walking in their flesh. And whenever we walk in the flesh rather than in faith, then trouble is going to happen. Mistakes are going to be made. And so now Esau is mad. He's livid. And he threatens to kill Jacob. And so Rebekah says to Jacob, go to your uncle Laban and stay there until the dust settles until the red mist lifts again from Esau. But he would spend the next 20 years with his uncle Laban. And he never ever got back to see his mother alive. Yeah, he got back, but his mother was gone by that time. And so there was a price to be paid for the conniving, even though he had got the birthright. But when he was at his uncle Laban's, Laban had two daughters, Rachel and Leah, and he was smitten by Rachel. He fell in love, head over heels. So much so, in fact, that he promised Laban that he would work seven years for him to get her hand in marriage. And old Laban says, that's wonderful. I want you to work seven years for me, and I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. 
Of course, you remember what happened when it came to the marriage, when it came to the honeymoon, and he left it the veil. Lo and behold, it wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. His uncle Laban was a bigger conniver than he ever was, and he cheated him. And he had to work another seven years in order to get Rachel. To cut a long story short, many births ensued, and out of Jacob became all of those sons who eventually, in time, became the 12 tribes of Israel. And from Israel came the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. God is a God of constancy and continuance. God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No matter how long it takes, no matter how many detours there is, God will always get what he wants in the end. God's plans will come to pass. In John chapter 8, Jesus said to those scribes and Pharisees, when he said to them, before Abraham was, I am. And it became a whole argument. Are you yet 50 years old and you're saying this? And Jesus said in John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Abraham, by faith, looked down the corridors of time and history and saw the coming of the Messiah. And through all of that lineage and all of those families and all of those children, all of those tribes, came the Lord Jesus Christ. And we haven't time to follow all of that heritage, but you know it's in the scriptures. So God is a God of constancy and continuance. He's a God of Abraham. He's a God of Isaac. And he's a God of Jacob. So we tonight can stand in confidence not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, but in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If we are his children, then God has got plans for us. And we can trust him. Because he's constant. And he's continuing. And he will work out everything according to his will in our lives. This is why Paul says in Philippians 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful verse. I love that verse. Because sometimes in our humanity, we wonder, is this going to work out? How is this going to happen? How will this all pan out? But if God began it in our lives... We can be confident that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The writer of the Hebrews confirms it, Hebrews 10.35. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which is great recompense of reward. So we can be completely confident tonight in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, because that God is our God. And as we read through the scriptures, we see his constancy, his constancy. We see his continuance. We see how God moves mysteriously many times that we don't even see unless we look back in hindsight. But we're trusting him. 
You can trust God's providence. You can trust his sovereignty. God's unerring hand is guiding, is leading, is directing, is pointing the way forward. We don't always understand God's ways because the Bible says they're past finding out. They're much easier experienced than explained, aren't they? Gravity and electricity is much easier experienced than explained. But however, the longer you walk with Christ, the more you become aware of his hand in your life, his overruling providence, his predetermined plans and purposes being actively worked out in our lives. It's only when you look back, isn't it? It's, uh, particularly those of us who are older believers, you look back over the years and you see the hand of God at different junctures that maybe at the time you didn't see or didn't understand or couldn't fathom. But looking back, you say, this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. So what does all this do for us? What confidence, what strength, what assurance, what confidence does it provide and comfort? It shows us that God is a God of constancy and continuance. And right now, as you sit in that seat, God is actively, consciously, deliberately building your future. His plans for your good. God has got a diary for this year and it's filled with divine appointments that we don't even know about. But they're going to come to pass. Doesn't always feel like it. Doesn't always seem like it. Often it seems we're at the mercy of circumstances. When his brothers threw Joseph in that pit, for sure he thought he was at the mercy of circumstances. When Potiphar threw him into the prison, for sure he thought he was at the mercy of circumstances. But God was working with him in the pit and God was working with him in the prison because God was going to work with him in the palace. God always had his eye on the palace for Joseph. And it took many years for him to see that, but eventually he did see it. And God used him mightily in the land of Egypt. I'm sure Joseph in the New Testament felt the same. Here's the baby, had grown to an infant. Herod wants to kill him, so they have to flee to Egypt. But God in his providence, just at the right time, he brings along the wise men from the east with gold and frankincense and myrrh, enough to supply their needs for their tenure in Egypt. God is a God of constancy. He's a God of contingence. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Galatians 6 and 9, you shall reap in due season if you do not lose heart. No wonder our enemy wants us to lose heart because he knows a reaping time is coming. You shall reap. There's a consideration for you, isn't it? You shall reap. Consider that. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. What have we sown? We're going to reap that. Have you sown blessing? Have you sown good things? 
Have you sown into the kingdom of God? You're going to reap. There's going to be a harvest. You shall reap in due season. There's a confirmation. There's a due season for every single one of us. There's God's timing, isn't there? Psalmist says, my times are in your hand, O Lord. They're not in the devil's hands. They're not in this world's hands. They're in God's hands. And so God has timings for us. He has has appointments. There's days, there's hours, there's moments when God will say, now is the time, now is the day, now is the hour. It's today. That's the due season. That's the confirmation. But then here's the condition. If you do not lose heart, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't cave in. Don't lose heart. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is your God. And how he led and guided and blessed and worked out his details and plans for them, he's no respecter of persons. He'll do it for us. Hebrews 6 and 12 says, Imitate those who through faith and patience or a perseverance, that means, inherited the promises. So stand confident in your calling, whatever it may be. Be confident. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. There's so many affirming and confirming scriptures that you can read regarding the will of God because God wants us to know that his will is secure and it's good for us. It's the good and the perfect will of God, Paul said. It's acceptable. 2 Timothy 1 and 12. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Have you committed your life unto him? He's able to keep it. Have you committed your calling unto him? He's able to keep it. Whatever you have committed unto him, he will keep it. He will safeguard it for you. Paul said, he that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I love what the psalmist says. We're thinking about a God of constancy, a God of continuance. Psalmist said in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's pretty consistent, isn't it? That's constant. All the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's constancy and continuance will outlast this life and take us into the next life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And every time I read that, 
portion, always quote old Spurgeon, he's worth a quoting. He says, goodness, that takes care of my steps, and mercy, that takes care of my stumbles. So in our steps with the Lord that are ordered by the Lord, sometimes we stumble, but his mercy comes in and picks us up, thank God, because he's got a plan for us. And he's constant and he's continuous. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So stand confident in God's calling. Stand confident in God's promises. 1 King 8, 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there has not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. Not one single word. I will stand over my word to perform it, God says. See, God takes his promises very seriously indeed. Why? Because his honor, his integrity, his credibility depends upon him keeping his word. Well, the best will in the world, we don't always keep our word. Even though we mean it at the time, even though we're totally sincere, but sometimes we just fail to keep it. But God's not like that. He keeps his word. God is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. Let God be true and every man a liar. Has God given you a promise? Stand upon it. Speak it. Underline it. Say it. Peter called God's promises, and I love this, he says, they are exceedingly great and precious. <laughs> exceedingly great and precious promises by which we become partakers of the divine nature. So is there an exceeding great and precious promise that God has given you? I like what Sarah gave in her testimony just a few weeks ago at the, the big Reformation service when she talked about how her and Brian, her, her and Brian wanted that child, desperately wanted the child, and how many times tried and failed. Didn't happen. But God had given a promise. Amen. And eventually, little Isaac was born. And he's here tonight as a testimony to God's faithfulness that God was able to keep his word glory to God why are God's promises so exceedingly great and precious because he not only promises life he promises abundant life life in abundance God's not niggardly or miserly or stingy God has got more than we'll ever need in this life. He not only promises joy, but fullness of joy. <laughs> fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. My joy, Jesus says, my joy I give to you. Not only promises peace, but perfect peace. <laughs> perfect peace. Paul talks about the peace of God that passes all human understanding. Perfect peace. 
God not only promises grace, but special grace. Said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weaknesses, you'll find his strength. That's his grace, which is more than enough for each of us. God's precious promises are sufficient to meet every material, temporal need that we have in our lives today. And there's many, many scriptures which I haven't time to give you. God promises wisdom. James says, any man lack wisdom? Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and doesn't upbraid, and it shall be given him. Do you lack confidence? Do you lack assurance? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this. Verse 7 of Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him he knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil or natural people, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What a promise. What do you lack? God has got it for us. He's a God of constancy, of continuance. He's a God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he's your God tonight. He's Becky's God. He's Brian's God. He's Paul's God. He's Sally's God. He's John's God. He's Tony's God. He's my God. And we can trust him tonight. We can depend on his word and on his promises because he'll never break them. <laughs> Isn't God a good God tonight? What a blessing. What is in store for us this year? It'd be wonderful if the God would just set us down and just map it out. But he doesn't do that. Give us this day our daily bread. It's one day at a time, isn't it? And as we walk one day at a time, then his plan unfolds because we have to trust him every single day. And we do, don't we? So could we pray? Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.